Welcome back to Good News in Tough Times. This is session two of Good News in Tough Times. We have been experiencing tough times for a number of weeks together. I don't know if you've recognized this or not, that it feels like uh, as the longer it goes, there's more subtle things that seem more difficult. Uh, People say that uh, during good times and during fun times, uh, it seems like time just moves so fast. Well, if that's true, I also think it's true that during tough times and hard times, it seems like uh, things move so slow. It seems like every week is longer, every day is longer. We ask questions about how long this will be, and we wonder what's coming next, and it just seems like everything is more work and is so much more slow. Has that been your experience? Well, we're looking at a message today that's entitled, When You Are Stuck in the Middle of Nowhere. When you're stuck in the middle of nowhere, you're stuck. It's not just slow. It just feels like you're going nowhere. And that cry out to God or the questions of your mind is wondering, when is all this going to get back to normal? When is all this going to stop? When can we make it through? And it just feels super slow and agonizing as we stumble through these tough times. So let's jump right into this message as this experience of tough times is a common one to all of humanity. We see valuable revelation from God about experiences of his people in the past. And so we're gonna jump into point number one, which is this. Watch out for the lie of isolation. Watch out for the lie of isolation. So we have been forced into a kind of isolation where all of the normal relationships, the normal encounters, the interactions with people have been cut off and we've redirected in new ways. And we need to watch out for some of the lies that come right out of isolation. And we're gonna jump into the experience of a worshiper, David, who is known as a man after God's own heart, who wrote so many of the Psalms. We're gonna jump into Psalm 13 when he is uh, feeling stuck in the middle of nowhere and asking the kind of questions that we're asking. Psalm 13, one and two reads this way. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So we've seen the recurring question over and over again. How long, how long, how long? We don't really know what the circumstances were specifically, but we know it had to do with the enemy that's after David and the struggling that he goes through through long uh, wilderness experience for him running from his enemy. He clearly feels forgotten and forsaken by God because he's feeling that and directs his questions to God, which is interesting from this worshiper of God that even he experiences that feeling and I think that we identify with that feeling as well. Perhaps some of you have been asking, how long till we reopen church again? And that's a a question that is filled with um, a lot of difficulty that the leadership team here is trying to navigate to open in the best way and in the safest way uh, possible. So we ask those questions. 
Isolation is crushing. Isolation is not what we were designed for. But this is uh, the most crushing kind of isolation where you feel forsaken by God, where you feel forgotten by God. That's even worse than when you feel like you can't connect with the people that you need to connect with to feel that support. So when you're feeling that way with God, you feel dry, you feel spiritually thirsty, you feel like you want to be renewed the way you remember being renewed before and things just move so slowly and you just feel like God is far, far away. But watch out for those lies because those lies come out of that isolation. David felt it and he challenges God with it and he asks God with it as, as he crying out to God. But then the interesting thing is when we get to verse five and six, he changes his focus completely. He changes the focus of his cry. Psalms 13.5 says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So in the middle of this feeling of isolation, in the middle of all these questions, David was able to move from the questions to a declaration of trust. How did he do that? Let's just move into some other thoughts here. Watch out for the lie of isolation, A on your outline. Sometimes what you feel to be true does not align with what you know to be true. Boy, I've found this to be so true in my life that sometimes what I feel is the truth of my circumstances doesn't align with what I know to be the truth of the circumstances. This happens to me when I'm bone tired. This happens to me when the uh, level of difficulty heaped upon me is stacked higher and higher and I humanly can't see through to how it's possible to get through that stack. And so that I begin to feel uh, the heaviness and question God and go to places with my feelings that I know isn't true, as if God is surprised by us, as if God doesn't have an answer for this, as if God can't uh, bring an answer with a prayer and begin to feel lost and forsaken and weak and helpless and cry out like David does. It's a good idea to go with what you know even when you feel something different. Another example that's like this is from another section of scripture in Isaiah. We're gonna look at Isaiah 49, 14. But let me give you some background. The Israelites now have been in uh, Babylonian exile for a lengthy time. And they're going to be in Babylonian exile for 70 years. You think our exile, our quarantine, our being away from our worship practices is long. They were going to experience being away from their center of worship for 70 years. And they cried out in Isaiah 49, 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. They, of course, recall that it, many prophets said that it's because of your sin that you're gonna be going off to exile. And here they are experiencing their exile. And so they feel forsaken and they feel forgotten. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but while you're in a bad season, a tough time in your life, have you ever felt like you were stuck in the 
hardest conflicted part of a movie, but you're stuck there. Whereas if you're not living the movie yourself, but watching the movie, you expect that this difficulty, this conflict is going to be a short portion of the movie or a duration that is gonna be a limited duration and then there's going to be a resolve that brings the glory to that movie that you just, that was a really great movie, a wonderful story. But in your own life, while you're in the hard part of the movie of your life, we tend to forget that God is with us and God is taking us through and he is bringing us through to a fabulous part in the story that he has planned for us. I don't know if you think of your life that way, but I do frequently, that God is the author of my story. He has a great story planned for me and I believe this for you. He has a great story planned for you. And while you're stuck in any bad part of the movie, it's not really intended to be bad for any lengthy duration. He's actually bringing you through to a better part of your story because he's a great writer of a story that's gonna bring glory to his name, glory to who he is. That's our whole purpose. And so he writes wonderful stories if we'll trust him in the middle of the story. Well, here the Israelites are in the middle of the story and they're questioning God. And God answers the question. We'll read in verse 15, Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Now, first he makes a comparison of his own love with, to Israel with a mother's love to a child. He has birthed Israel into its existence. He has saved a, a tribe of slaves and made them into a nation, his very own chosen nation. The nation went through a period of rebellion and then, excuse me, after that rebellion, they are in exile. And during that exile, they feel forgotten, but God didn't exile them for a permanent judgment. He exiled them to bring them through the exile to a better place. And he then goes on to describe something else. Even if a mother forgets you, I won't. And he says, why? I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That part just seems like, wow, you would never forget an engraving that's engraved in your, in your hands. But then he says something interesting, your walls are ever before me. Just a reminder here from an Old Testament standpoint, while they're in exile in Babylon, their walls are a rubble. It's nothing but destroyed rocks just spread all over the place. Their beautiful uh, city that was the city of God, Zion, the place where is the center of their worship has been destroyed. Babylon did it to prove that they're more powerful than them and that their gods are more powerful than Israel's God. But Israel allowed it to bring them through to a better place when God brings them renewal after this humbling time for them. That's from an Old Testament perspective. The walls are like engraved in God's hands. Causing his own walls that got, brought him such glory was painful. Engraved in his own hands, he could not forget that. And they're still there for him to look at. From a New Testament perspective, look at this phrase. 
I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I could never forget you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I can't help but think that this is a veiled reference to what God did, loving us so much, he sent his son to die for us on a cross, to take away our shame, to take away our sin, to restore us to himself. And now Jesus bears the scars, even after his resurrection, and they're indelible, and I believe they're gonna be indelible forever, because we're gonna be talking about his grace forever. That God will never forget any of us who've placed our faith in him. Our names are engraved. Our beings are engraved on the costly price that Jesus was willing to pay. Literally, engraved in scars. So, sometimes what you feel to be true does not align with what you know to be true and be on your outline Emotions can feed us lies. We can find rest in God's comforting response to his forgetful people here in Isaiah. Here's a couple of reflects that I want us to just slow down and ponder on the screen. We sometimes forget God, but God cannot forget us. I think we don't think about that enough, but here we've just read it. God cannot forget us. Here's the next reflect. Watch out for the lie of isolation. How can you journey with others right now? So part of the lying comes from this isolation. Part of the feeling like we've been forsaken and forgotten is while we feel isolated from one another and from God. God has designed us to journey with others in our following of God. So let me just challenge us to reflect on this question. How can we at this time journey with others? It takes initiative to make sure this happens. So I encourage you to think that question through. See on your outline, God's care is constant. God's care is constant. On the screen we have another reflect that I want you to focus on. God's care is constant regardless of what is happening around us to make us feel otherwise. His steadfast love endures forever. I believe it's 40 something times that that phrase, exact phrase, his steadfast love endures forever shows up. But the interesting thing is in one Psalm, Psalm 136, which happens to have only 26 verses, has this phrase show up 26 times as if we really need to preach to ourselves to remember this truth that God's care is never diminished. It's always constant, it's steadfast, it doesn't go away. If we're feeling far from God, it's not because God God moved himself away from us, it's because we moved ourselves away from God. I think a really good illustration of this, visual illustration that God built into creation is the sun itself, S-U-N. The sun is constant, even though we can count on it to rise at a certain time and count on it to set at a certain time, it's constant in that even when we don't see it, it's still there. That when we go through our darkness, we can count on the sun rising again. And when a cloud covers over in the middle of the day and we feel a little bit glum, it is 
short-lived. It isn't because the sun disappeared. It's just been covered up by circumstances. Don't trust the feelings that says God is not constant or God doesn't care. The other thing that I think about the sun is that the entire earth is held into place in an orbit around the sun. And I believe that's intentional on God's part in this visual illustration for us, that we orbit around this visual illustration that brings order to our lives and holds us in place. Now, if we just substitute the spelling from S-U-N to S-O-N, when God sent his son to save us spiritually, our lives are to orbit around him, and it's his gravitational pull that keeps us into place. And yet, we need to remind ourselves that there are competing pulls, and so we have to be careful. We're now ready for point number two. Watch out for counterfeit escape routes. Watch out for counterfeit escape routes. There are other competing poles. In Deuteronomy 8.2, we read this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years? Now, there is a wilderness wandering 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. So why is it that Israel wandered 40 years? To humble them and to test them whether or not you would keep his commands. Then we read in verse three, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. If you're unfamiliar with the story, God took his his people that was just in slavery for hundreds of years in Egypt miraculously released them and was gonna bring them to the promised land, but they were gonna go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. What should have only taken days ended up taking decades, and it was because of their rebellion. And so the wilderness wandering is the process of testing and refining and proving his people He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. Manna was miraculously provided, something they'd never seen before or ever since. It was only during this period of wandering in the desert for 40 years that God tested them and provided a a food substance that they called, what's it? Manna. What is it? It was like a crust that they could make a bread out of and they collected it in the specific way that God encouraged them to collect it and survive in the desert off of it. These are millions of people surviving in the desert miraculously through God's provision. Which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I underline that because Jesus quotes this in his own wilderness experience. Jesus was led from his baptism when the Spirit of God comes upon him, fully anointing him as the Christ. Directly, the Spirit then drives him, it says in Mark 1, drives them into, him into the wilderness. His ministry begins and His ministry is characterized by this battle in the wilderness that will continue through the duration of his ministry and he is being tested through this time. And every test in that wilderness, he responds with a quote out of Israel's wilderness experience. Now you can read the lengthier sections describing Jesus' wilderness experience in Matthew 4 and in Luke 
4. Why is Jesus compelled to go into the wilderness? Why? Because where Adam failed in a garden, and as a result produced desert or desert wilderness as part of the curse, Jesus is the, the image of God, the very image of God, not just a reflected image like Adam, who comes to restore the cursed earth, and this time not in a garden, but in the cursed earth in the wilderness itself. So he came to experience in the wilderness a success that would reverse it. He's also the representative chosen one out of the nation of Israel, where the nation of Israel was tested in the cursed earth wilderness and failed. Jesus is gonna succeed in the wilderness where they failed. Just as they came out of the Red Sea, a baptism, so to speak, symbolically, that marked them as the people of God, Jesus is baptized as a representative Israelite, representing all of the chosen people of God, including us who are adopted into his family, and he's gonna succeed in the wilderness where we, without him, would fail. That's why he was taken into the wilderness. And so what should only take a matter of days to get through, the failures took decades. Jesus moves through it and helps us to chart a course following in his steps to move through our wilderness. A on your outline. God will test you, not tempt you. This is a truth that you can read more about in James chapter one, but here in this wilderness experience, we're seeing that God had a purpose behind the wilderness test, and it's to bring us to humbly depending and trusting upon him. Here's a reflect on the screen to illustrate this. The wilderness serves as a thermometer that takes your spiritual temperature. The wilderness test reveals how far away you are from God or like in Jesus' case, how close you are to God. And so those options are the two options available to us in the middle of any wilderness test. With any test that God brings to bring us through to a promised land, there is going to be a temptation that comes with it. We have an enemy that wants to take the test to our demise. We have a God who wants to take the test to our betterment to our purity, to our refinement, to strengthening. At every wilderness test, it'll go one of two ways. You'll either get stronger or you will be made weaker. And choice, the choice to trust is key in any of these tests. God will test you, not tempt you. B, on your outline, God only feels far away. In the wilderness, every step feels like a struggle. Everything feels slow. Everything feels hard. Now this was true for Israel even though God was visibly present with them in a pillar cloud of fire by night and a pillar cloud in the day. And there was a visible manifestation of the glory and power of God right with the people that they camped around and followed every time it moved. And so although God was so powerfully with them, literally supernaturally feeding them every day, they were so used to the supernatural, they entered into all kinds of rebellion, and that test then ends up to their demise, at least the old ones who never made it in, and only the new generation made it into the promised land. And God felt far away, but he was right there. That's the nature of a testing in the wilderness. How about you? Is that what you've been experiencing? (laughs) 
I think perhaps so. I know I have been experiencing some of the ups and downs that go with knowing that God is so close and then feeling like, where are you? And where are the answers? And what's next? And what do we do? And those same kinds of struggles. See on your outline, God will take you through it. Through to where? Through to the promised land. Someplace better. So if we jump down to Deuteronomy 8.16, he says so. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. So he's taking us to a great ending in the movie. He's taking us to a better place. Don't be stuck in the bad part of your movie. You can cut that short by trusting God and making uh, his purposes move forward more rapidly. It will go well with you if you humble yourself and trust God's will and God's word. Are you opening your Bibles these days? Are you looking to him and studying his will and doing your right next step, whatever that right next step is? Are you opening his word to learn from him and follow what he says and take those right next steps? D on your outline is this. Your focus makes all the difference. In Numbers 11, five through six, here's what we read. And this is the rebellious Israelites speaking. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. They're grumbling here. Now, as a child, I would have never thought in terms of onions and garlic and leeks being something I craved. <laughs> That's not where I live. But now as an adult, I do uh, enjoy those savory foods. And that's where these Israelites were, reminiscing the savory foods of Egypt. But their, their memories are so distorted. Their, their view of reality is that their Egyptian bondage was preferable under the tyranny of Egypt to this benevolent God who's leading them and providing for them and caring for them in the middle of nowhere. They want to go back to onions and leeks and garlic rather than follow God. That is distortion gone wrong. That is focus gone so wrong that you're ready to rebel and God is really feeling rejected by such grumbling. And that is not a place you want to be. Humble yourselves and remember the right things and focus makes all the difference. So what do you choose to remember? Do you choose to remember all the great things before this happened? You can't wait to go back to that? God has some bigger plans for you and for me and for us than what we're going to He's testing us and he's bringing us through to something bigger and better and more faith and more strength and rather than reminisce and when can we get back to something that used to be, we need to be looking at how God is doing and he's doing beautiful things right now and he's creating in us a power of faith and trust where he can do things beyond what he's done before through us and I'm looking forward to that. Let's take a look at this last reflect together. Watch out for the counterfeit escape routes. What are you focusing on that is not helping? Your focus makes all the difference. Jesus chose to focus on God's word, trust God's faithfulness, and worship and serve God alone. 
I want to finish today with a poem. I don't usually do this, but I was introduced to this poem this week, and it's a very powerful one. It's written by Sarah Burns, and she lives in New York. She's a believer, she's a Christian, and she lived in the middle of the New York's death toll that is astounding. I can't imagine being in close proximity to that and how that is so devastating. So she writes a poem that's called, We've All Been Exposed. We've all been exposed. We've all been exposed, not necessarily to the virus. Maybe, who even knows? We've all been exposed by the virus. Corona is exposing us, exposing our weak sides, exposing our dark sides, exposing what normally lays far beneath the surface of our souls, hidden by the invisible masks we wear. Now exposed by the paper masks, we can't hide far enough behind. Corona is exposing our addiction to comfort, our obsession with control, our compulsion to hoard, our protection of self. Corona is peeling back our layers, tearing down our walls, revealing our illusions, leveling our best laid plans. Corona is exposing the gods we worship, our health, our hurry, our sense of security, our favorite lies, our secret lusts, our misplaced trust. Corona is calling everything into question. What is the church without a building? What is my worth without an income? How do we plan without certainty? How do we love despite risk? Corona is exposing me, my mindless numbing, my endless scrolling, my careless words, my fragile nerves. We've all been exposed. Our junk laid bare, our fears made known, the band-aid torn, the masquerade done. So what now? What's left? Clean hands, clear eyes, tender hearts, What Corona reveals, God can heal. Come, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we have all been exposed in this wilderness test. In every test, we're exposed to choices. Our hearts are exposed to realities that many of which we don't like. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to lead us, to empower us, to embrace us, to bring us through this difficulty to a promised land where your brightness is our focus, your power is what we orbit around, Our purpose is to honor and glorify you. Lord God, I pray for those within earshot of this prayer that something stirs inside to reach out to you because you have never moved. You love us still and you'll walk us through. We turn to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If something stirred you today, would you 
reach out to somebody. Perhaps it's right on the screen. If you're using one of our platforms that has social media, you can reach out and ask for prayer. You can ask questions. You can seek God right here and now. If it's not through that kind of platform, maybe you just want to call somebody, somebody you know that is walking with God. Ask some questions. Ask them to pray for you. Ask for help. We need each other. We need God. And we need to bring him glory. And we're going to do it because he's going to bring us through this wilderness. I hope you'll join me again next week for more good news in tough times. Now, we're going to take communion together. So stick around, grab the elements, and we'll be leading that uh, and enjoying that together in a moment. Thank you.